This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. In general, uh, today, perhaps more than at most times in history, that we have uh, segregation based on your age. Mm. And um, I, I think we miss the gift of intergenerational friendships. It, we miss it big time. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Peter Greer. Now, because of some technical difficulties with the recording, we have to pick up without the formal introduction that John gave, but let me do that right now. Peter Greer is the founder and CEO of Hope International, a global Christ-centered micro-enterprise development organization serving through Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Eastern Europe. He's the author of eight books, including the one that we're going to focus most of our time on today, Mission Drift, The Unspoken Crisis Facing Leaders, Charities, and Churches. So my partner, John Ramstead, recently had a chance to sit down with Peter and talk to him about Hope International and the book Mission Drift. Here's the point at which, due to the technical difficulties, we were able to rejoin this conversation. You know, we have this uh, word that we made up. We call it uncharity <laughs> and trying to rethink uh, what charity looks like and, again, not see handout as the end goal, but to see a hand up as a far better solution than just going around the world and giving away uh, more food and, and more things. When people living in these contexts, people living in poverty have far more worth, capacity, dreams uh, than we might originally seem. And, you know, it's actually just the, the birth of the organization that I work with, Hope International. It was born after realizing that charity never seems to make a long-term impact. It's good in a term of crisis, in a time of crisis, but it is not the solution long-term to the problem of, of poverty. And so, yeah, my, my, my uh, passion is to bring this message to the church and for the church to see employment as a critical part of our efforts to care for the least of these, for our efforts to care for the widow, for the orphan, for people in need. Now, as you've brought that message also into the marketplace realm, the marketplace mountain, so to speak, how has it connected or resonated there? You know, I find that uh, in some ways um, that that's the audience that gets it. Um, my, my experience is that people that have spent a career in business, they've seen the benefit of what they do. They've seen the benefit where they were able to offer a job and to watch someone uh, have the opportunity to use their gifts and abilities to provide for their families. Um, and you contrast that with someone who, again, kind of has their head down and their hand up. You just you get a different outcome when you're able to offer someone employment. And so the business community, I think, is 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 very receptive. Um, and in some ways, I think we have a messaging problem that we have not told or shared as clearly enough that business is a key part of the solution, that God is at work in the marketplace, and that is here and that is around the world. And so when we've had the opportunity to talk about our model of discipleship, of mentoring, of access to capital, of savings, of lending, and really building small businesses around the world, people that are entrepreneurial, people that have spent their career uh, in understanding and building businesses, they get it. Uh, they get it quickly. And in some ways, I've had several people say, you know what, I've been looking for this. I've been looking for that sort of an approach where I can use my gifts, my abilities, and it makes sense that, again, we're addressing some of the root causes of poverty and able to live out my faith uh, in uh, not creating a cycle of dependency, 
but in creating a cycle of empowerment uh, that is through this tool of Christ-centered microenterprise development. Well, yeah, and I, I love the concept of empowerment versus dependency. And I think, you know, it starts at home. It starts in our own life. And, you know, this book that you wrote, uh, A 4040 Vision, uh, you know, your subtitle is Clarifying Your Mission in Midlife. And what I'd love to do, Peter, with you is really explore what that looks like and how, you know, what the messages in this book, because I think people listening, when they can really connect to what that is, uh, you know, then working with organizations like Hope, taking the skills that they've developed in their life out in a way that just really creates that personal joy, that fulfillment, they're excited to wake up on on Monday morning, you know, and get out there and get after something that they're really passionate about. But there's so many people that wake up on Monday morning and they just feel blah. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. So, so I'd love for you to share your thoughts on that. And let's, let's go through some of the, what you've shared in, in this great book, 4040 Vision. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Thanks so much for, uh, for reading it. And, you know, maybe just to take one step back. So the, the whole idea of this book really actually came from uh, a project that we'd been working on uh, that uh, turned into a book called Mission Drift. And in that, we were trying to see how do organizations go off track. Uh, and so we did over 200 hours of interviews with leaders and tried to follow Jim Collins' uh, methodology in Good to Great to identify uh, sector experts and then to identify a counterfactual uh, of organizations that have drifted and organizations that have not drifted and try to understand the difference. And anyway, long story short, uh, we found that there are multiple reasons why organizations drift. But one of the key areas that kind of surprised us, and maybe it shouldn't have, but organizational drift is nothing more than what is happening at an individual level with individual drift. Hmm. And so trying to uh, say, if we want to change organizations from drifting, if we want to stop them from moving away from what matters most, and, and just parenthetically, Drift never gets you where you want to go. Like getting where you want to go takes hard work, takes rolling up your sleeves, it takes intentionality, it takes focus. And so we found that the best organizations that were able to scale, professionalize, stay on mission were ones that understood drift and worked hard to prevent it. And so uh, if that drift, though, it starts in each of our hearts. And so this was kind of an application, believe it or not, uh, of, of that sort of a project of saying, how do we understand our own lives and our own heart? And how do we make sure that we're not drifting? And this is where the data became really fascinating. We found that life satisfaction steadily declines in our 20s and 30s, and it bottoms out in our 40s. This is the time where we self-report uh, the least amount of satisfaction, the most amount of drift, the most amount of wandering. And that's not just in the U.S. Uh, it has been found around the world that this is a global phenomenon, that something happens at this time of life where we kind of bottom out. And so then our fascination became, how does this happen? And how can we address whatever issues there are that derail us during this period of time so that we can get to the other side of it, live with purpose, live with passion again, and figure out what are the answers to some of the big questions that kind of gnaw at us and stop us from really living uh, a missional and purposeful and passionate life? Well, when you say drift, Peter, what kind of drift is that? 
You know, so in, in some ways, uh, it, it's this um, drift at this time in life. Organizationally, it means moving away from your core mission. Uh, so similar definition, uh, when it's applied at an individual level, it's moving away from kind of your your core mission. And so for a lot of us, again, in this time of life, maybe we have the overblown image of, you know, when individuals uh, tend to kind of hit the... Uh, uh, maybe a second adolescence with bigger consequences. So maybe we think of that as an example of drift. For other people, maybe it's this feeling of just disappointment in how life turned out that we can't seem to shake. For other people, maybe it's uh, this this sense of just being consumed by comparing uh, to where we are, compared to where we thought we would be at this point. Or maybe for other people, it's recognizing that, man, life is short. And so we try to find that new uh, area of passion, try to get that thrill. Or maybe some people, it's at this point in life, it's achieving a certain level of success, thinking it was going to kind of make them feel different, but then actually achieving it. And it didn't really provide the advertised level of happiness. And so I I think there are lots of issues, but at, at the core of it, it's saying there's a time in life where you are invited to ask some of the really big questions. And we believe that in asking the really big questions of meaning, of passion, that not only is the antidote to drift, but it can lead you to the other side of this experience and saying, let's clarify our purpose. Let's clarify where we are. And almost like the mid-game uh, halftime talk, uh, let's, let's act, let's live differently uh, based on the information that we have at this point so that the second half of our life can be lived with greater meaning and greater passion. Well, you know, as people are listening to this, right, they're either driving in their car, they're working out, they're, uh, we just looked this up and, and you and I were just talking before we started, there's people in 150 countries that are listening to this and I'm sure they are resonating with what you just talked about, about this concept of, you know, really what is that core mission, that core purpose? So what are the big questions that they could ask themselves and maybe write down and journal about after they, after they get done listening to this uh, podcast? Yeah, so in in the book, and one of the things that we um, that, that we found early on was we're not the first people to ask these questions. And I yeah, love- it's not new. You know, that's great. You know, people talk about comparing, right? We compare ourselves sometimes to these people that have done these huge things in their life, and we're like, well, we could never do that. But there's people all throughout history that just started out as a single person with an idea that grew something personally, that grew local, that turned into something global. So um, I I love that you just said that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And anytime we think we've come up with something that no one else has thought of before, oftentimes it's good to pause just for a minute and say, are we sure? And as we as we were starting to look at these questions, uh, we found the most uh, the, the most powerful example uh, woven in a part of scripture that I never really understood before. <clears throat> but it is a book that has fascinated me for the last couple of years as we've been thinking through this. But it's the crazy book of Ecclesiastes. And this book of Ecclesiastes is a thought experiment. And again, I... I I oftentimes, you know, you maybe hear a song that's based on Ecclesiastes or you you hear a verse here or there, but the whole book is such an interesting example of what life looks like if you take a relationship with God, a covenantal relationship out of the picture. And so the author, uh, written as if he's King Solomon or King Solomon himself, 
this is written from a position of someone who has done everything, who has seen everything, who has had success beyond success, who has had thrill beyond any possible thrill, one of the wealthiest people of all history. And then the end conclusion that's woven throughout this book is this, this idea of meaningless, meaningless. He uses the word havel, uh, this vapor uh, concept. And so you kind of, I don't know about you, but I would be fascinated if I could have a conversation with myself at the very end of life. Wouldn't that be interesting to kind of learn from your perspective at that point? And I think the closest thing we can do is to have that conversation by reading through this book of Ecclesiastes that systematically looks to all of the places that we find meaning and satisfaction outside of a relationship with God and to say, let's look at it, let's see what it really looks like. And it's almost like this experiment of like staring into the sun and then describing how badly it hurts. And so I believe that this book of Ecclesiastes provides a fantastic framework to say, where do we look for meaning? Where do we look for satisfaction? And then let's really look hard at that and see if it delivers what it is that really, really matters most. And the conclusion that uh, we might remember from this wonderful book of Ecclesiastes is this whole idea of, uh, uh, you know, at the very end, fear God, keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of, of humankind. And I, I think that's a pretty powerful conclusion uh, to all of the big things that we look at that we think are going to think are going to make a difference. Uh, and yet, ultimately, they just seem to slip through our fingers so quickly. So, Peter, you know, going through this and the research you've done, sharing, teaching on this, this whole concept of Havel, uh, meaningless vapor, what does it look like when somebody, or maybe how do you help people connect to something that would be the opposite of that in their life, you know, right now, currently where they live? Yeah, great question, John. And so, you know, what does it look like if we look at the opposite? So instead of living life apart from a relationship with God, what does it look like in each of these areas where we invite God into these areas? And, you know, for some people, take employment. For some people, what that means is that they do exactly the same job that they've done for the last 20 years, but they do it differently. They, they look for every opportunity to love and support their colleagues. They, they look at their, their suppliers uh, perhaps differently. They look at what they do, um, not necessarily the mechanics perhaps, but in maximizing the good and the impact that they have. And perhaps for other people, they realize, you know what, I've always had this passion to do something else, but I've let fear uh, cripple me. And so there could be an element for some people that say, you know what, this is the moment. This is the moment life is passing quickly, and this is the moment where I'm going to make a jump. Um, I think about contrasting examples. There was one person that uh, decided after thinking through some of these issues, he said, I'm going to cap my lifestyle. Um, and so he ended up doing the same work in private equity that he has been doing for a long time, capping his lifestyle and becoming an incredible uh, investor in kingdom causes around the world. Another individual uh, retired um, that one of my colleagues here at Hope International, uh, he ended up at age 40, um, uh, ended up leaving uh, his place of employment. He was an executive at Capital One and ended up coming to help us grow our ministry globally as well. So it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not like there's one path uh, but I think our perspective changes uh, wherever we are, relationships. You know, I think that one of the uh, pieces of data that jumped out to me was that the average male after age 36 is going to make no more 
uh, lifetime friendships on average. And so part of this for me was saying, I want to make sure I'm 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 uh, I'm inviting my friends in. I'm investing in these relationships, taking care of the friends that I have, um, because I know what a gift it is to do life together. The the course in Ecclesiastes, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. I want to make sure I have those individuals in my life. So, again, I, I could give all kinds of examples, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's one path. But it means that we do things differently when, again, we live life in a relationship with God, saying there's no part of who we are and what we do that ultimately finds meaning when it's done apart from a relationship with our Creator. Oh, I love what you just said there. I think that is just a huge piece of value, Peter. Um, I'm just thinking about a quote that Jim Rohn has, which I love. It's, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if, and if you're thinking about this and you find yourself kind of in this place of discontent, right, you're not connected to your core mission and you're 36 or over, what would it look like if you actually reached out and intentionally found some people that were just alive and they were like the, the two people you talked about that have kind of really connected to their passion, they've moved into it, and you start having these new relationships with people that have almost you know con- gone ahead of you? And you're developing that relationship so they can help pull you into that place where you're connected to a core mission because you're hanging around people that are connected. And in doing so, that is going to accelerate your journey uh, in doing the same thing. Yeah. One one of the other things, John, that that, uh, came out in this is that in general, uh, today, perhaps more than at most times in history, that we have uh, segregation based on your age. Mm. And um, I, I think we miss the gift of intergenerational friendships. It, we miss it big time. Uh, but, you know, it might be good to even start with an inventory. Look, look at the relationships that you have. How many of them are with people that are uh, a decade or two older than you? How many are with a decade or two younger? And to actually see that there's an incredible gift of intergenerational friendships. And it's been fun to actually find that uh, many people have expressed that kind of reading through and discussing these issues of 4040 vision uh, has been enhanced by doing it in an intergenerational kind of format. People that are a couple of years ahead or a couple of years behind. Um, I, I think the other the other piece uh, in this this whole area of friendship is kind of succinctly summarized uh, when I was living in Africa uh, in Rwanda. I had a, a friend tell me that everyone there knows they need at least uh, four friends. I said, "Why four friends?" They said, "Well, that's how many people in the rural area uh, it takes to carry a stretcher." So he said, "You've got to have at all time four people that even if it's three a.m. in the morning." You can call them and they're going to show up in your time of need. And we might not need it for a literal stretcher, but I think we need it for a figurative stretcher to at least have four people in our life that at 3 a.m. we can call and they will come running uh, to help us in a moment where we need them. And, um, yeah, friendships are one of the greatest gifts uh, that we will ever be given this side of eternity. Well, I would think that most people listening, Peter, probably don't have four people they could call at three in the morning to carry their stretcher, figuratively or literally. Uh, what do you think it takes to develop those kind of relationships in your life if you don't have them? Yeah, so not just with this issue, but I think a lot of the issues that cause us to be derailed at the middle season of life, I think a lot of it is coming back to this idea of drift. 
It's just mm-hmm. lack of intentionality. It's lack of focus because life is busy. And sometimes when life is busy, we don't pay attention to the things that actually uh, in the long term become most important. Um, and, and so I, I think a starting point might be that intentionality. Maybe start um, every year. I have a paper that I, uh, I, I, a little document that I it's kind of a constellation mentoring uh, model, uh, and it's my way of being intentional with the relationships that I have and making sure that that is printed out in a place that I can see it of what are the most important relationships right now, and then making sure there's time. I've got a group of people that every Friday morning, I uh, oftentimes it's meeting virtually, but we get together, uh, and, and th- there's never an easy time to do that. Um, might mean waking up super early, but uh, there's intentionality uh, in investing uh, in places that are going to have a great return. And, you know, we think about investing our resources with great due diligence. I just don't think we invest relationally with that same level of rigor or intentionality. And I think we do it to our own detriment uh, in terms of a life of faithful living and serving. Yeah, I I think you're spot on with that. What what do you think's behind that? Why as men especially do we not develop those relationships, or or we're we kind of settle for this comfort zone with people that we know, and we don't reach out past that to keep growing or challenging ourselves. John, you've had so many conversations with individuals over the years. What do you think? What what have you found? What what causes us from really investing relationally? Well, I think I can, you know, I can speak for myself. I think what happens is, um, you know, I can see why your chart, you know, drops down to its lowest point at 46. I'm just thinking about myself, right? I was working hard, running companies. I was involved in some charities, trying to put money away for retirement. We were very active with three boys. And then you get to a point in life, right, where our your your older boy goes to college, Uh, My next two are about to go to college, and I'm looking at this next half of my life, another 50 years. But you're so busy in your work, you have your relationships, you know, one or two friends, you have people at work, and what it takes, it takes energy, it takes focus, and it it requires you to move out of your comfort zone to go develop new relationships, and I think that's what holds us back because we've gotten to this point where um, I, I think almost the status quo is almost the biggest enemy of greatness, especially when you're looking at kingdom work. And like for myself, what I can share, Peter, is just having this podcast and having all these amazing guests and developing some incredible relationships. People can come on the podcast. We have a great conversation, but it really takes a lot of uh, work and focus to actually go out, have conversations, follow up with people, get together for coffee. And I got to tell you, some of the, like yourself, people that have done such amazing things in this world and affected so many people, when you're around people like that, you don't want to compare. Uh, but I'm looking, wow, look at Peter. He's touched thousands, if not millions of lives around the world. Look at what he's done. And, you know, you're just, what, what are you now, 42? Uh, 40. Oh, 40 years old, right? Um, But I think what enables you to go develop those relationships 
is your desire to do something and have a different outcome has to outweigh your fear of being uncomfortable. And I think that is where it starts is people have to really focus on what does it look like? You know, I was, I guess, fortunate, you would say, to have this accident. I was in the hospital for two years and I had a lot of time to think about, you know, what if I had passed away at that accident and what would they have said at my funeral? Because that was the likely outcome at the time. And I started thinking about, okay, I have this incredible second chance to rewrite my entire epitaph, to rewrite what I stood for, to rewrite what my life meant in the lives of other people. And I really started hoping that I actually could live up to some of these expectations. And then as I moved toward that, Peter, I started looking for relationships, people, causes, things that I could do to just take the small steps to move me toward that. So, you know, maybe as I'm I'm just listening to myself, I I think that's what it is. It's just, it's not about these giant leaps into this great future. It's about taking these small steps toward this future that God has planned for you that will emerge as you move toward it. But like you said early on, it's all about that deep personal relationship, that trust in faith in God as you take these small steps forward, um, which leads you toward that. So what what are your thoughts on that? Oh, John, well, well said. And I, it's crazy, right? When, when you had uh, your significant life-changing moment, uh, how in the world would you ever have thought that that is a gift? <laughs> and yet, as I hear you talk, uh, it became a gift. You were given the very difficult gift of saying you had a moment, you had two years to think deeply and to look at all life. And there are very few people that are given that amount of time apart from some sort of health crisis. But I think the experiment of what you just did is is valuable for every single person. I, I uh, My wife uh, very graciously uh, supported uh, supports me in so many ways, including this uh, um a hobby of writing and, and really enjoying kind of looking at an issue and going deeply. And as I was looking at this at my at my 40th birthday in the middle of kind of, you know, thinking through these issues, I ended up writing my, uh, my, my eulogy, uh, very similar to what you just said. What would people say about me at the end? Or what, what would I want people to say about me at the very end? And I believe when you look at that, uh, you live differently today as, as a result. And my wife uh, asked me how much longer I was going to be working on this book after I read that. Then we ate some carrot cake. But uh, it, it, was, <laughs> it was just a, a, a moment to actually say what really matters at the end. Um, and then how do I live differently today as a result? And I think that sort of a thought exercise can wake us up from the status quo that really it's like the grooves. Uh, it's like we're just in the groove of life and we just go on without periodically looking up and asking where the road ends or where that rut ends. And um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, what you just described, John, very pe- few people are forced to do that, but all of us have the opportunity to do that, to actually think about the end and then live differently today as a result. Well, you know, I think you're bringing up a great exercise for people listening to do. You know, we, we talked about what are those questions you could write down and ask yourself. And I think, you know, if people just started, because I've done that also, Peter, is, you know, what is your epitaph? Uh, 
you know, write that down because what that'll do is not give you kind of guiding principles and values in the moment or for maybe a decision today, but it's going to provide, especially if you do that prayerfully uh, in a way that really connects to who God made you to be, it, it provides that true north of those timeless principles and values that you're going to live your life on. And what else I would challenge people to do is at the end of writing that epitaph, share it with people. Share it with your wife or your husband. Share it with some friends. But then distill all that down into one sentence. How do you want to be known? What's the one sentence that you'd also want to have engraved on your headstone someday? Yeah, and, and John, I think that's, that's really, again, the nothing really new under the sun. I truly believe that's what King Solomon was doing in this end-of-life memoir called Ecclesiastes. And what he wants on uh, the very end fear God, keep his commandments, like do it. Everything done apart from a relationship with God isn't ultimately going to matter. So invite God in to your family relationships, invite God into the work that you do, invite God into the way that you uh, pursue pleasure, invite God in to every area of your life. And, uh, and, and that's the most important piece uh, that again, this crazy book, there's some crazy stuff in Ecclesiastes, but uh, it makes sense when you come at the end where he's saying, I pursued so much without God and it just went away so quickly. Invite God into every aspect of your life. Now, as you've gone through this process, Peter, you've written this book and um, you've, you, you've shared this with, you know, you and Greg uh, Lafferty, who co-wrote this with you, have shared this with so many people. I'd love for you to share your own personal story about how going through this process has connected you to what you're now doing at Hope. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, one of the pieces that uh, th- there was a great gift of this is is Greg uh, on his own <laughs> humor uh, induced uh, um, kind of uh, recognition uh, is that he, he did not have an easy time at this time of life. And um, so part of the gift uh, and part of the way that I think differently is no matter what stage I'm at, I want to do life intergenerationally. I want to have people that are decades ahead of me, decade or two ahead of me, and I want to learn from them. What would you do differently? What, 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 what worked? What didn't work during that time? And to live life intergenerationally. And then in a similar way, I want to be investing into people that are just starting their career 10 years out. I want to invest in people that are just kind of hit stride in their career. Maybe they turn 30 and instead of wondering, can I make it? They're starting to say, how big can I make it? I want to invest uh, in people in a limited number of friendships. And so I think that's one of the pieces that came through in this is Mm -hmm. I want to live life uh, intergenerationally where looking up uh, and helping other people that are earlier on their journey as well. Um, Another thing that has changed, um, and I think it relates uh, to the work that I do uh, at Hope, but but I, 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 I'm not going to be here forever. Um, and so I think about the mission, uh, and the mission is so much more important than one person. And I find that uh, my timeline uh, has, has broadened. So instead of thinking about annual plans, I'm starting to think about what's the 10 or 20 year plan um, and what happens when I'm not here? What has happened to the culture? What has happened to the people? And I've actually taken the step to ask the board of directors to have my final performance review two years after I've left. 
And I think that's going to be my most important performance review. There's no bonuses or anything associated with it, but that is my most important performance review. After I left, whatever timing that is, uh, hopefully not for a while, but after I'm no longer here, what has happened to the mission? What has happened to the culture? And is there more health? Is there more vitality? Or was it somehow built around a small number of people? And then if you take those people around, um, you know, maybe there's a period of decline. So uh, my timeline has changed. And uh, even as it relates to what I do, that means I'm investing more into the team around me. It means I'm delegating more. I want to empower more. And I want to do uh, less. I want to do the right things. I want to do them well. But I really want this to be about the mission, not about any one, two, or three people uh, that are involved in leading it. Well, you know, if you don't mind sharing, Peter, if you if you do everything that's on your heart to do right now, you live the way that you want to live, uh, what is going to be said about you at that final review after, after we've, uh, you know, rated the uh the potato salad and, and roast beef sandwiches at the uh, at the wake <laughs> uh, yeah so when, when uh when before the uh before the celebration uh yeah starts i guess a couple of things one is i hope to hear well done good and faithful servant and mm-hmm. i hope that that is uh by my savior and because of what Christ has done, I believe that uh, that that will be true. So that 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 is the most important thing. I think about my wife. Second, I would want her to say, uh, "Peter loved and cherished me above anything else on earth." Um, I think about my kids, uh, and I would love for my kids to be able to say, "My dad was for me. Uh, my dad was my biggest fan. Uh, my dad loved and supported me in the gifts that God has given me." Um, I, I hope for uh, my uh, my colleagues, uh, individuals that I had worked with, um, I would want them to say Peter took his work seriously. He never took himself seriously. And he was a champion uh, for me, not just a champion for the cause, but he was a champion for me. And um, yeah, anyway, those are those are some of the things, John, that I would love to hear. Well, I guess I won't hear him. I, I hope someone else hears him. I bet along the way between now and that that day, Peter, um, you're going to hear those from your kids, from your wife, from from the world around you. I, I don't have any doubt. And, and I'll share that with you right now. Just reading this book, and I really encourage everybody, get this book, 4040 Vision by, by Peter and Greg. And uh, you're going to everything what you're hearing peter share this this outcome this future these relationships this impact you can be having in this world the the joy and i think you know there's a difference between happiness and joy i think happiness is from external forces but joy regardless of the circumstances outside of us we can have this joy because we know we're doing the work that god's called us to do and even though we're going to have trials and tribulations knowing and trusting him that he's walking us through each of these seasons to prepare us for that next season. Um, but, you know, you're already doing that, my friend. So I just personally want to thank you for doing that. Mm, that means a lot. Yeah, thank you, John. Now, as, you know, as we wrap up, I would love for you to share a little bit because the what you're doing at Hope International I think is so important. Um, it is. It's also been a passion of mine about you know, charity and ministry as a way to break dependency. I, I think there's so many 
uh, examples where well-meaning Christians who are giving in different areas have actually made the situation worse because they're creating dependency. Um, what you're doing through Hope International is actually breaking that and empowering individuals, um, families, tribes, villages, societies uh, to thrive with what they have, even though their, their conditions compared to what we have here in the States are very, very different. Um, so could you share a little bit about what, what that Christ Center micro enterprise development is kind of a mouthful, but that's really kind of the, the mission of hope, but share a little bit about what that is. Cause I, I think this is something a lot of people could be very interested in. Yeah. I had a friend, uh, who went on multiple mission trips year after year. And on one of these trips, he came back and said, Peter, I feel like the situation is never going to change. And it was interesting because every year they were going and they were uh, having donated goods and they were showing up and they were giving things away. And then Mm -hmm. they would leave and the shoes would be worn out. Uh, The shirts would uh, fall apart. The food would be eaten. Uh, Eventually, the church that they built would need a new roof. And so he was recognizing something that a lot of us recognize is that when we go in and it's about us simply providing for other people, uh, long term, the situation never changes. And so the approach that we take uh, is a different approach. And it starts with a very different premise. It starts that we're not going to go in and be able to long term solve anyone's uh, problems. Oh, ultimately, Jesus is our savior and, uh, and, and it's not us. And so we want people to see that and we want people to understand that they have been given gifts and abilities simply because they are created in the image of God. And when that is, uh, when, when at the very opening pages of scripture, we see that God is in the midst of creating and then this beautiful idea, the Imago Dei, we're created in the image of God, meaning we have gifts and abilities. We have the ability to create as well. And so we start from a premise that goes in and says, God, give us eyes to see what's already happening and uh, help us to participate in that. And so practically what that means is that when we go in, we no longer give anything away. Uh, We uh, end up partnering with uh, churches, denominations. We end up uh, forming these small groups around the world and they start mobilizing capital. There's a discipleship aspect. There's a mentoring uh, aspect. Um, And then individuals start saving and then there's investments that are made so that people can start small businesses. So, you know, my last trip to Rwanda, uh, I had time with an 80 year old Rwandan widow. And if, you know, 20 years ago I had met her, I would have defined her by what she doesn't have. Um, I would have said that's an 80 year old Rwandan widow. But today I see Anasita Zia. First of all, I want to know her name. And secondly, I describe her as an entrepreneur with gifts and abilities. And I want to hear her story. And her story was uh, she ended up uh, providing, getting access to capital, built onto her home, ended up renting out that room, ended up earning more, ended up investing in agricultural inputs, uh, ended up farming a bigger piece of land. And uh, when I was with her, she said, I may be old, I may be blind, but my children are not going to see me beg. And it's that level of dignity. And now she is able to be a provider, to be a micro philanthropist in her community. And I think that's part of restoring the dignity that has been lost, uh, that poverty wants to take away. And then you couple that with, again, discipleship where people are learning and growing uh, in their relationship with Christ. 
it is, uh, in my perspective, <laughs> I, I think it is one of the most powerful ways uh, to see true flourishing and impact uh, around the world. Well, you know, the other thing I'm, you know, as you're talking, I'm, uh, let me know your thoughts on this. It's like, instead of us coming up with what we think we should do to help them, what we should give them, it's like you're involving, like with this woman, you're involving God in the conversation and asking her, what assets does she have in her spirit, you know, physically, that, and she just needs a little bit of help to get started. So instead of just giving her food or clothing, which would have worn out, now you've actually allowed her to do something that supports her family, creates a legacy. I just, I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about just this one story. You probably have hundreds of, not thousands of stories just like this that you could share if we had more time, don't you? Yeah, John. So we're just we're currently serving over nine hundred thousand families in sixteen wow. countries. So it it has grown far beyond what we ever would have thought uh, when uh, when the organization was in its early stages. Man, well, congratulations on that, and I definitely want to stay in touch and see what more we can do um, to support you guys, support Hope. How how do people get in touch with you, Peter? Hope International, your website, learn more about your book. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, easiest way to connect with me, uh, I, I use the same uh, name on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, any of that, but it's just uh, Peter K. Greer. So my middle name is Keith, so it's Peter K. Greer. Uh, online, it's PeterKGreer.com, uh, or again, Twitter, Facebook, all the other places. Um, and then with Hope International, uh, best place to find us is just HopeInternational.org. And uh, we've got a series of videos. And um, yeah, uh, I'd love to connect with uh, any of your listeners that have an interest in learning more about Hope. And again, the best way for me personally is PeterKGreer.com for Hope International. Uh, it's HopeInternational.org. And for 4040 Vision or Mission Drift, uh, you can find it anywhere books are sold. So Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your, your local Christian bookstore hopefully would have it as well. Wonderful. And if you go to EternalLeadership.com, just go to our podcast tab. You guys are all used to doing that. Everything from all, every, the, what Peter just mentioned will be there, all the links. And, you know, as we wrap up, Peter, just any final thoughts you'd like to leave uh, everyone listening? Oh, John, this has been great fun. Uh, I, I really appreciate the conversation. And, and I just think, again, the invitation is to look at some of the big picture. Give yourself time and space to ask some of the big questions. Uh, and I think that we will see clearly and I think we will live differently as a result. So, um, yeah, just a great privilege to have this conversation with you, John. Well, thank you for saying that. L see differently, live clearly. Uh, I, I love that thought. Well, thank you, Peter, for your time. I really appreciate it. You're just a, a wonderful man and human being, and, and just appreciate your time. Thanks so much. You too, John. All right. Thanks, Peter. If you'd like to learn more about Peter, Hope International, his website, his blog, his books, etc., just go to eternalleadership.com slash 111. That's eternalleadership.com slash 111. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. 
Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us, episodes four and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Thank you.